Welcome to the Board Game Community Show. I'm your host, Riley Stock, and in this new experimental podcast, we're going to be talking to members of the board game community, hence the name. Today we have Tim Lampasona. Woo, hey. How you doing? Pretty good. How are you? Good. Excited to have you. I'm excited to be here. Uh, people who know me know that I love to talk, and this is pretty much the perfect uh, perfect exercise for me. Oh, perfect. Great. I hate talking. <laughs> oh, wow. You picked the wrong line of work. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's why I'm the interviewer, is then I can just ask a question, and you're going to be my favorite type of guest, because I can just ask a question, and then 10 minutes later, you'll be done. That's great, but eventually there needs to be like an air horn or something to get me back on topic. So get, get the app ready with the air horn sound effect. Okay, uh, let's see. <laughs> well, luckily, this the whole idea of this podcast is that you're the topic. So literally, whatever you want to talk about, that's that's on topic. Oh, fantastic! That sounds good to me. <laughs> yeah, that'll be easy, right? Yeah, very easy. <laughs> So you're a designer over at the Cardboard Revolution, right? Yes, that's correct. Mm-hmm. Very cool. You guys have a game coming to Kickstarter uh, mid this year, I think. Uh, that's correct. Uh, currently slated to drop in July. And we're very excited. It's like progressing very quickly all of a sudden, which is a good feeling uh, to go from sort of... It's, like about a, it's been about a six-month sort of development process uh the game is called mononoke for those who are interested and uh you can find a billion links to it on my twitter and our website so i'm sure that they'll be easy to find uh but it's kind of a semi-co-op blind bidding game where all the players play as uh cursed heroes of like mythical uh feudal japan and you're defending a haunted castle from different sort of spirit attackers and uh the gimmick or the twist is only one player at a time typically has perfect information about what's attacking you. And Hmm. there might be plenty of reasons for them to lie about what's coming. So every night a new uh, spirit or yokai attacks the castle and they can tell you whatever they want does not have to be true. And they might have incentives to let the castle get hurt or even let a player die. So there are ways to sort of glean information from them. Uh, And then when you actually fight the thing, it's all blind bidding. Everyone puts their bids out secretly and you just sort of cross your fingers and hope that you bid enough to beat it oh wow that sounds really interesting it creates some very fun tense moments uh where players are because some of your some of the players motives are public and some of them are private so you can sort of psych people out you're like no listen i don't want to hurt i don't want to hurt you guys look at my motives they're all totally fine and see, <laughs> meanwhile in your hand you have one that says let the castle take you know x amount of damage or whatever you can you sort of uh, trick people that way. It, it's very fun. It's certainly not it, uh, very heavy on the semi and semi-cooperative. I was going to really, say. <laughs> yes. You really are trying to screw each other, but because you're all in it together, you're all in this castle, if the castle gets destroyed, everyone loses. So you have to balance the needs of the group versus your own selfish motives. So if a player dies, are they out for the rest of the game? No, you get to come back as a ghost. Nice. I was going to say. Say being that a ghost sounds is like it's really fit. fun. Yeah, being a ghost is really fun because not only do you get the ability to use rooms in the castle that other players are using, because now you have no body, you can just sort of slot in. You also have the ability to bid with the yokai whenever you want. So you can choose to help the enemies or help the players at any given time. 
And for every um, mission, which is called a destiny, that you didn't finish in your life, uh, ghosts get a new kind of mission called a regret. And regrets are much more variable and weird and stronger than a, a typical destiny. So being a ghost is not actually necessarily a bad thing. Uh, it's sort of just a different state to be in. It's, it is really, I like being a ghost personally. I don't really take it personally if someone kills me because uh, being a ghost <laughs> is fun. And you can still, you can win pretty easily as a ghost, same as if you were alive. Oh, okay. Uh, it's just a very, it's just a different kind of play style. It's fun. That is really cool. I like that, that I, I hate player elimination games where somebody might get out early and then 10, 15, 30 minutes go by and, you know, they're just kind of sitting on the sidelines. So that sounds genius. Yeah, in fact, there's actually ways to bring ghosts back to life uh, against their will, oh. which is very fun. Uh, we, we recently played a very fun game where we have one player on the de- on the design team who nobody trusts what he says ever. Just a notorious liar. Anytime he says anything, everyone just rolls their eyes like, yeah, okay. Uh, and he was a ghost, <laughs> and he was obviously had a very malevolent sort of mission to screw us all over. Knowing that he was going to succeed, somebody used a, a spell to turn him back into a living human and, and screwed over his, uh, his, his evil plans, which was very fun. Oh my goodness. That sounds amazing. <laughs> I was looking at some of your guys' other games. You have two other ones, right? Uh, we, have, we have, honestly, many more than what's on the website, but those oh, are the okay. ones that are closest to completion. We, we, we have a back... We, we're, we're working through a catalog of probably five or six things at once there's eight of us on the design team so it's really not a ton of work individually we sort of spread it all out (laughs) um but on the on the site we also have three other games that are like fairly close two educational and two um mainline have you released any or is this your first kickstarter this will be this will be our first kickstarter as a group i've done one solo before we started the company oh okay yeah, a couple years ago, I did uh, a Kickstarter for a small card game with an ancient Rome theme. It's called Ave. It's on Board Game Geek. If you want to take a peek, and it's just like a fun little competitive card game. If you've played Magic the Gathering, you will probably uh, enjoy it. It's got a similar sort of vibe, but it's a a very simple fifty-four card deck thing. Uh, small, small game, but it was a lot of fun to put it together and 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 release it. But Mononoke is a much bigger project, and it has been completely invaluable to have people helping <laughs> it's uh it's been wonderful to work with a group honestly yeah i'm doing my first co-design and we had our for our first kind of brainstorm session and it was wild i absolutely loved just spitting out ideas hearing ideas and then that would generate a new idea and it and then we'd figure out something that didn't work and we'd have to figure it out together it was just it was so much smoother and crazier than by myself. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the crazier thing is smoother too, because you figure out what doesn't work a lot faster, which is better for design, yeah. in my opinion. It's like, oh, I put this idea out there. If I didn't have a group of, you know, three or four people sounding off with me, I might have wasted a lot of time actually following that stupid idea and then realizing <laughs> it was terrible, as opposed to somebody pointing out the obvious flaw with it immediately <laughs> and learning. Absolutely. Oh, okay. Uh, but yeah crazier especially because you wind up with such interesting stuff i mean especially if you're working with people who have different sort of i don't like calling them i guess like affinities like different gaming affinities because everyone's got their own sort of different type of game that they like or different feeling that they want to bring to a table and um you know when you have people who are interested in like you know 
miniatures war games, working with people who are really into Euro games or whatever. You come up with some wacky sort of fusions, and it's great. Yeah, I love it. And I feel like that's where we'll get the most innovation. Definitely. Absolutely. So what started you on, let's actually go back before designing, or which happened first, chicken or the egg, uh, designing board games or playing board games? Uh, it was playing, so definitely. Okay. Yeah. What uh, got you into that? My first, like, real, quote-unquote, board game that people actually recognize as, like, a, a not a legitimate one was probably Catan. But before that, <laughs> I was completely obsessed with Magic the Gathering, and still am, in it, to an extent. Nice. Yeah, I started playing Magic in, like, 1997, probably. And I, I still do, which is <laughs> crazy to think about. Um, but, I mean, that, that, that game, because that sort of opened me up to... Uh, lots of different ideas and really just like letting your imagination go crazy with uh with with games and from there i i'm I'm not even i'm a bad uh i'm like a i don't know i'm a bad gamer in that i like everything i have like i have no taste it's like like (laughs) with wine with me i just like all of them and i can't communicate why a game is good or bad in the moment usually i'm just like i like this or i don't uh (laughs) i tend to like uh games that create fun social moments rather than being like perfectly balanced and tweaked rule sets you know what i mean yeah oh absolutely like one of my favorite games ever is betrayal at house on the hill oh, uh, so good. which is completely bizarre game design when you look at it in a vacuum right so much of it seems like oh this could be fixed that could be balanced this could be tweaked but i never care about any of those problems while i'm playing it because it's just so fun and weird and the moments that work, work so well. Yeah. It creates this really, really cool tension and environment that's mm-hmm. just fun to be in with other people. Yeah, exactly. Or like Dead of Winter has a similar sort of thing. Where like, mm-hmm. afterwards, you can analyze it and say, okay, well, honestly, this should probably do this. And this is a little this is a little janky. But in the moment, you're like, oh my god, this is so cool. Like, <laughs> I really yeah. don't get attacked. You know what I mean? That's I'm very similar in a lot of ways where... I'll have fun doing anything. Like I can watch any movie and enjoy it to some extent. I can play any game and enjoy it. You know, I'll just, I just like to have fun in the moment. Absolutely. Looking back at it, it's like, well, okay, that wasn't that great, but, but I had fun while doing it. Why not? Why not enjoy life? I have a theory about that where if you ever watched a movie on an airplane, it always seems 15 times better than if you tried to watch it off the airplane, generally because you have nothing else to do on an airplane, so everything seems fun. I have the same theory about playing games at conventions, where like you're sitting down with a bunch of random people and you're handed a rule book, and it's basically like, uh, okay, enjoy this thing. You've never seen it before. You've never met these people before. Have fun. And something about that environment makes games more fun to me. It's like airplane movies. You just like, oh my god, this <laughs> is so cool. Like I'm learning a new thing with new people. Like, uh, and then yeah, I've bought so many games at conventions that I like don't really enjoy as much at home but i have such fond memories of them at conventions i'll still play them anyway yeah i totally get that yeah i don't know why it's a weird thing and i've been missing conventions a lot so i've been talking about them oh have you done any online ones i've done a bunch actually i've done like um protospiel twice and unpub or nunpub i guess now that it's nunpub yeah. digital version i did that one twice as well and we've got actually we sent a bunch of our people to both of them to sort of play test other people's stuff and also have our own stuff get tested it was really fun 
Very cool. A couple of the other games that we're working on, we sent there as well. Our uh, the one that our one of our designers, uh, Max Helmberger, is working on is um, Life for the Loam, which is a really cool little competitive card game uh, with a entomology theme. We're both entomologists. We have, we have eight people in our in our co-op. And there's two people who study insects, which is definitely bigger, more than average, I think, for the general population. <laughs> but he's working on a he's a soil ecologist, and he's working on a cool game where you could you are trying to introduce different invertebrates to your soil to like increase the different soil health milestones like structure and your food web and your nutrients and things like that and the <laughs> art it's really cool uh they're all little clay they're all photos of claymation sculptures of insects that oh. he's he, he does like educational claymation videos for for entomology conferences and things uh so we decided to double up basically and do all the art for the game in that cool little cute clay style and it just works so well it's shocking so that one we're, we're hoping to have that ready for public release and just over the winter because it's really really fun it's getting very close yeah that sounds really cool with having a team that big and i'm being a part of a board game design company are, do you guys have plans to release every six months or four months or something in order to be profitable so we're thinking we're gonna we're, we're thinking we're leaning towards the six month thing something new every every six months or so we're sort of looking long term as well where we don't want to be tied forever to kickstarter but being so small and because we're using this unique business model we're we're cooperative so everything is democratically decided everything is owned collectively and all the profits are split evenly whether you're a artist graphic designer you know lore writer designer whatever it's all it's all evenly split. Nobody ever keeps track of who's working on what or who's playtesting what. It just it just gets a default. We all get a share, basically. Very um, cool. And one share one share goes to the co-op, uh, which then we can pull money from to fund other project stuff like ad buys and things like that. So as much as we like the crowdfunding ethos and how useful it will be for us as a company that doesn't really uh, get capital in the normal sort of business way. We want to sort of have a self-sustaining ecosystem of, of local game stores and things that, that stock our stuff uh, after the Kickstarter drops. And we're in talks with quite a few, actually, because we're spread out all over the U.S. and uh, in Canada, as our members are. So we have a decent amount of range, uh, hopefully, to get things in different places and different brick-and-mortar stores after the fact. And hopefully that can sort of keep sustaining itself afterwards. So far, we got a few... LGS people that seem quite interested and, you know, fingers crossed after we get the initial round of funding, we'll have enough copies to send to everybody and everyone will be happy. That's really cool. I like that. That sounds like an awesome uh, way to run a business. It's definitely fun. And the benefit of it is that nobody feels overly proprietary towards things. The, there's a very sort of open communication feeling where everyone can sort of hop in and out on each other's projects work on different things at different times whenever they feel like it. And uh, it's all very flowy and, and, and nice, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like nobody can pull rank or or feel like they're being, you know, undercut or something or undervalued. Yeah, there's no ranks at all, actually. We're trying something a little bit radical in that it's all sort of horizontal uh, power-wise. So you can, you can bring things up for a vote uh, but other than that, nobody has any power over any other person. There's no boss, for instance. 
Yeah, love it. We should do a few more things like that in life, huh? <laughs> I agree. Well, you know, uh, what's that? You know, you want to you want to sort of actively do the stuff that you wish other companies would be doing. And I think that we were sort of looking at the model of cooperatives, and most of the time they're used for things like uh, food stores or you know health food shops and things like that. And I and I'm thinking to myself like this would be really I think beneficial for a creative enterprise too. And there are, there's only you know there are very few game companies organized as cooperatives, and the one that I can think of is Tessa Collective, which is excellent, but they're not purely a game company. They do a lot of other stuff too, and this is something that we're trying to sort of do as purely a game design and, and publishing company. And currently, we're all doing our own designs, but eventually, we'd love to publish other people's stuff too. And uh, we're trying to like work out how that would how that would work with our profit share model. But I think that we can sort of bypass or at least fix some of the more unbalanced publisher designer relationships out there Uh where you know not only would you be getting you know the you know five percent of gross sales that you normally get as a designer but you'd have you'd have a stake in all the profits made on your game uh in the future which i think would would really fix a lot of the problems with, with that that relationship yeah, that's really interesting. I don't know too much about that because because I'm just kind of a beginner designer. I haven't gotten that far to publish a game or or anything. So that's interesting to hear kind of behind the scenes a little bit. I mean, I, I want to try to demystify some of it because it's really not that uh, intimidating, which is interesting. I mean, are you are you are you looking purely to? Um, I don't want to turn this interview around, but I like asking <laughs> questions too. <laughs> are you looking to purely go the uh, the crowdfund route? No, I. It depends on the design. Some of my designs, I think, won't do well Kickstarter-wise, and so I want to pitch them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and other ones I'm very passionate about, and I don't want to give up creative control. <laughs> Makes sense. It, it's funny how you can sort of get a vibe when you're working on something, like, yeah, this will be Kickstarter bait, and other things are like, no one's going to like this. <laughs> no yeah. It's on Kickstarter. <laughs> I, goofy. I had, um, we have a couple people in our group who are like really into warhammer 40k and stuff and i like warhammer too but um who are really really into miniatures war games and i had come up with this cool i think cool war game idea where it's um like 10 millimeter napoleonic miniatures but with huge monsters too you know like Mm -hmm. (laughs) and like uh you know mixing those two genres is kind of fun to me because you see monsters in like medieval settings but never in like the gunpowdery settings and yeah, I, I I put this awesome I, I think awesome rule set together and we played it a few times and it was really fun. And I sat there and I thought, no, this 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 game will make everybody mad. <laughs> Nobody's <laughs> going to want it because all the intense like fantasy war game people are going to be mad that it's ten millimeter. They don't want that. They want like cool twenty eight millimeter figures. <laughs> all the Napoleonic people are going to be outraged that there's magic in it because they're all history freaks and like obsessed with reenacting battles exactly yeah so it's like i've created a game with no audience except for like me and three <laughs> other people i bet you'd be surprised who would be interested in that i mean maybe we wound up salvaging that theme though uh and created like a we're working on an rpg right now that's set in the aftermath of that theme so oh, it's cool like all the all the european powers that uh that stole through colonialism, stole magic from people, accidentally destroyed the planet because they didn't know how to use it. Um, and now the world is in like a weird uh, sort of stasis and between dimensions and everything's screwed up. 
uh, and it's like a post-apocalyptic, you know, Napoleon meets Mad Max meets Call of Cthulhu type thing. Uh, <laughs> and I think that's really cool. People might like that more because um, it's a bit it's a bit weirder and takes itself less seriously. It uh, has a the, the combat and all those skill check mechanics are kind of neat in that it all uses a shared um, 52 card poker deck instead of dice. Yeah. And you have a hand of five cards at any given time. All the different suits represent different kinds of skill checks. So like a heart suit represents strength uh you know a, a club represents magic just off the top of my head um and when you play a card for a skill check you pick one from your hand and draw one at random and if you have one that's in the suit you get a bonus if you have none you get a detriment uh and you're trying to hit like a a, 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 a um, numerical limit set by the gm basically for each task hmm. uh and there's some fun random scariness in there like the jokers can cause uh you know chaos energies to rip you to shreds or whatever and it's, it's very it has some very tense moments <laughs> so are you do you play much like D D or other role-playing games yeah i love role-playing games uh and i'm not the biggest role-playing game freak in the group um one of our members uh ada is a absolute role-playing game fanatic and i mean I don't know if she she'd uh, agree with that phrasing, but <laughs> we, when we first started thinking, hey, let's talk about role playing games. What has everyone played? She responded with like a paragraph of like two hundred different games, and I was like, meanwhile, I'm just like, uh, yeah, Call of Cthulhu, D and D, uh, Tales from the Loop, all the ones you can buy at Barnes and Noble. Uh, yeah, <laughs> none of these like unbelievably cool like indie ones she was talking about, and I was like, okay, so yeah, you'll 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 head this department. <laughs> yeah. Um, and one of our um, members uh, by the name of Kenneth is a expert at like expert at GMing, um, incredibly good at them, and has run like multi-year campaigns of uh, Dark Heresy and other Warhammer 40k themed RPGs. So we have a pretty wow. decent sort of collection of people that are into that stuff. But I like a lot of the mainstream ones, to be honest. Um, I, I've been playing Call of Cthulhu since I don't know 2005, probably, and I love that game. What other hobbies are you into? Let's go off board games. Okay. Well, like I said, uh, in real life, I'm an entomologist, and I'm sitting in my office right now looking at my insect collection. Uh, so I, I do that. <laughs> That's do not you, even work. It's fun, too. Do you actually do, like, the preserving the bodies and pinning them? or? Oh, yeah. Oh, you do the whole thing? Mm-hmm. Oh, the whole wow. thing. Yeah. Uh, that's, like, actually part of research. Like, generally speaking, if you're doing a project that involves anything in the field, you have to know how to pin and preserve specimens. It's the only way to do it, really. Um, hmm. So it's one of the first things you learn is uh, is how to do that correctly in, in grad school. Um, so yeah, I'm working on a PhD in entomology right now. That's not really a hobby, but it's a thing that I'm doing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, study, I study insect behavior um, and uh, agriculture and things like that. So it's pretty, pretty cool stuff. Very uh, cool. That leads to like other because it's such an outdoorsy thing i i'm also like a, a pretty decent hiker um i live up in the, the catskills area in new york um so we have some really excellent hiking up here and uh rock scrambling and things like that which i love to do what is rock scrambling it's like rock climbing but with no gear and uh for people that don't have talent to rock climb i'm I, don't have the, I certainly don't have the upper body strength or the patience to be a real rock climber but scrambling is imagine there's just a bunch of boulders 
and there's like a, an incline that's for normal people, like 30 degrees instead of straight up. Uh, you just climb up the boulders and you have a good time. <laughs> I used to be a really big rock climber and boulder, uh, but I haven't done it in forever and I never heard of that. So that's cool. Oh, well, it, it makes more sense out here where our mountains are very small and um, created by erosion. Oh, yeah. You know, so this is like big fields of boulders and stuff that you can sort of scramble over and uh, have a good time. One of my neighbors is actually like a real rock climber, and he, he keeps promising to take me. He like goes to the Alps and stuff, and leads uh, tours and things. Oh, and he's, wow. always, he's always trying to get me to like do real rock climbing, and I'm like... I get nervous on ladders typically, so I don't know if it's too much for me. <laughs> it's surprisingly okay. Like, I am terrified of heights, but I loved rock climbing for whatever reason. I mean, you're strapped in and your harness, and to me, rappelling was one of the hardest parts. Like, just that leaning back and trusting somebody to hold you and then lower you as you rappel down. Really? I guess that's, that's not funny. rappelling, but bling, whatever. Because the one it. time I ever did any kind of rock climbing, it was one of those indoor rock climbing courses and the rappelling was the best i was like all i wanted to do was rappel i was jumping off the wall and sliding down it was sick and i was like i wish i could just do this and wouldn't have to climb up again (laughs) (laughs) they do well there's a military base by us and they do like you can just go and rappel so you climb up a stair you climb upstairs actually you don't even have to climb up a ladder there you go god and then you just rappel down this like 50 foot wall that's my kind of climbing (laughs) stairs and then the descent the best parts (laughs) i don't know what it was like just for me it was just like that sensation of like it's just the initial like once you've climbed and your body's like worn out and then trusting that you can just like fall backwards a little bit or get into that rappel position i guess it's a little scarier when it's a, it's outdoors and there's no big like wrestling mat to catch you if you fall. That's true too. <laughs> Cuz indoors you're like, listen, it's 20 feet. It's the ground is made of foam. I'll be fine. Whereas outside you're like, yep, that's just a big rocky expanse below yeah. me. <laughs> I remember climbing once outdoors and I was near the top and I my muscles just completely gave out and like I tried to lift my arm up and I got it almost to head level and I just fell backwards. And luckily oh, no. my my support down at the bottom was there. They called belayers? I don't remember what they are. It's been so long. But so he just caught me and I and then he just lowered me because I like I couldn't even really assume the position. <laughs> <laughs> it was oh wow. Intense. That's that's pretty grim. But I loved it. And it was but also, I was so exhausted that I didn't care that I was falling at that point. I was just like, okay, I'm done. Yeah, so. whatever. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. Uh, still, you know, the, the idea is entertaining. But I, 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 yeah. I'm pretty content with hiking and having a good time just looking at nice. the views and things. Yeah, if you're um, ever in Utah, we've got so many hiking, beautiful places and you guys have real mountains. Like we do. The, the Rockies are legit. I mean, I I did some. Uh, I went to where was I last? The Rockies. I was in uh, Banff and Glacier National Parks. Oh yeah. Um, a couple years ago, and it was like mind blowing seeing the difference between you know the Adirondacks versus uh, versus the Rockies. Just like shocking how much bigger they are out there. It's so cool. <laughs> uh, yeah. And um. I mean, I do, uh, I like traveling a lot. And back when you could travel, 
and it wasn't, you know, right. the, the global plague. Um, my wife, Steph, and I went to uh, Switzerland and did some really nice hiking out there um, in, the, in the Alps, and that was the coolest thing. I felt like a real mountain man, you know, wearing like oh. a big wool, big wool sweater and a, and a, a, a wooden walking stick and just like strutting around <laughs> on these trails. I was like, this is great. That would be incredible. Oh, yeah, it was sweet. Honestly, that's worth the that's worth the, a trip the the Swiss Alps because it is like weirdly relatively inexpensive to get there. Uh, I don't really know why. Um, and then once we were there, we just like stayed in apartments and stuff, and it was awesome. Oh man, you stayed in apartments? Like yeah, we just like, Airbnb'd. Oh okay, yeah, that makes sense. That's a thing. It's been so long since I've taken a trip that I forgot. <laughs> yeah, you could Airbnb. It's pretty cool. <laughs> Uh, I went to Missouri and somebody was like, oh, it's over at that mount or like just past that mountain. And I was like, mountain, I don't see a mountain. It was like yeah. what we call a hill here in Utah. A Missouri mountain is even nothing for us. Like, oh. <laughs> honestly, I did a, I, my last uh, entomology conference was in before everything got canceled was in um, was in uh, St. Louis. Uh, no. Um, yes. Missouri. Yeah, St. Louis, Missouri. Yeah. Um and yeah, that was that's a fun city actually. I was I had a good time out there. Yeah, I enjoyed it. But it was definitely yeah, it was definitely flat. And it's funny how like how, how flat some parts of the country are compared to even up here, which is you know, up here we're like, oh man, we got real mountains. No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> Although I did hear a cool post that exonerated my my beloved uh my beloved Appalachian range by talking about how old they are for the oldest mountains on the planet. Oh. Which is pretty cool. Um, evidently, they're uh, they're so old that they existed before bones existed in animals. What? Like they're several billion years old. Like they're, they're not formed by uh, tectonic plates or volcanic activity or whatever. They just that just was the ground level at one point, and they've essentially eroded down into mountains because of all this hard shale that's left over. Uh, wow. Or they've been carved into the ground by glaciers, um, so they've they've been there forever. Like they're just insanely ancient. Like in out west, up top of the mountains, you can find seashells and stuff because it used to be the seafloor before they got pushed up. Uh, nothing like that out east because they've been mountains for as long as there's been land, basically, which is just unbelievable. That is really wild. It's so cool. Huh? Learn something new. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, honestly, science facts are—they'll get you far. <laughs> Little random yeah. facts like that. You're a total nerd. I mean, you're an entomologist. You're getting your PhD. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'd say that's pretty fair. Pretty fair assessment. <laughs> <laughs> that's really cool, though. Uh, what other hobbies you got? Um. Oh my god. Um, my, my wife would tell you that I have too many, and now that I'm thinking about it, she's definitely right. Uh, I paint um, both on paper and miniatures. Oh, very uh, cool. Uh, really, really like painting uh, miniatures, to be honest. Um, I draw, I do a little uh, graphic design stuff, mostly for our own projects, but we have a real graphic designer, thank God, um, <laughs> <laughs> who can fix all my mistakes. Uh, and, and, um, uh, and music, too. I play a couple instruments, but none in any kind of professional level at all. <laughs> nice. What do you play? Uh, ukulele, uh, banjo, little guitar. Um, and I used to 
I used to be capable at guitar, and now I'm just barely competent. Um, but now I'm basically <laughs> just, honestly, ukulele is where it's at now because it's so easy, and uh, you can carry them everywhere. Oh yeah, that makes sense. That's really cool. Do you? Uh, I I play guitar, but I almost feel like at this point I'm more of like a karaoke guitarist, where I just <laughs> learn to <laughs> strum songs and sing them. <laughs> That's honestly ninety nine percent of the time. That's all you need to be. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I, we've um, uh, I've I've done some vocal stuff for my my friend who's a real musician. Like I've done background vocals on a few of his albums, um, but other than that, I've not recorded anywhere. Oh, very cool. Uh, so that's pretty much it. Um, hey, that's fun though. It was very fun. And, what kind uh, of music? It's like uh, his his stuff is like um, sort of early Weezer. That like uh, that is a yeah. genre. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you can look it up on um, on Spotify. The, the band name is Be Cool Cowboy. Kind of a fun band name. <laughs> it's fun, yeah. Um, check it out. Uh, but yeah, no, that's uh, that's the only place that you could you could hear it. <laughs> the, uh, other than that, I really like folk, kind of. Uh, you can tell by the banjo. I was gonna say, yeah, yeah, <laughs> banjo like, like and folk. ukulele. Yeah, I like folk music a lot, um, and uh, also very depressing uh, indie emo stuff uh also really appeals to me i don't know why i, I can't play any of it but i love it <laughs> nice that's cool and i'm a very bubbly person honestly i'm very happy but every now and then when you just want to feel depressed you just throw on some margo and the nuclear so-and-sos or whatever and just sort of let it happen it's great <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I totally get that i'm wow uh, i used to listen to emo music all the time and <sighs> honestly though have you gone back and just decided to go like just give it a re-listen because a lot of that stuff honestly holds up which i was surprised by i was like some of it i was gonna be this is gonna be terrible i'm gonna be embarrassed that i ever liked any of this but you know what (laughs) pretty good yeah we're about the same you're how old are you i'm gonna be 31 oh my god i forgot how old i was gonna be 31 in a month (laughs) (laughs) okay wait when's your birthday april 17th dude i'm april 18th oh my god (laughs) and i turned 33 so Two year difference. Whatever, two years fine. in a day. Two years in a day. Two years in a day is a perfectly. That's a good band name, actually. Yeah. Um, hey. <laughs> Let's start our emo band. Let's start our emo band. Exactly. <laughs> Perfect. Excellent. I'll get the eyeliner. Um. I'll be. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try and squeeze into skinny jeans. I guess. <laughs> I honestly, before before COVID, I probably could have fit in skinny jeans. Certainly not now. It's. <laughs> It's over. <laughs> I think all of my jeans now qualify as skinny jeans with the weight I'm putting on. I didn't buy them like that, but it just sort <laughs> yeah. of happened. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. April, you know what? I've always said that geniuses are born in the middle of April because I have a lot of I have a lot of friends who are like April fifteenth or fourteenth to the nineteenth or whatever, and it's like a shocking uptick in birthdays. And I'm like, you know what? gonna be bane for a second we're all very cool and very good we're all share this weird little birthday birthday (laughs) week i can't argue and it's weird so i don't do astrology or anything like that but a lot of times you hear like oh capricorns can't mix with other capricorns or whatever i don't i don't even know all the zodiac signs don't know them all either but (laughs) i usually roll with it when someone talks about them yeah but it seems like people in april get along with people in april like so many of my friends are born in around the middle of april you know what i think it is and this is totally it's totally me just riffing i have no idea if this is true or not being born 
right when it, the weather gets nice in spring affects you as a person. Oh, yeah. Like, having your birthday that. right when things get night, right when the weather gets good, I think it creates a certain personality type. I, I'm totally, I have no idea if this is true or not, but I've decided it's true, and now I believe it. I believe <laughs> it, too. I'm 100% on your theory. <laughs> okay, that must be it, because the middle of April is when, around, around here anyway, all the flowers are blooming, things are finally starting to come back to life, and it's like, oh, man, I feel rejuvenated, I feel happy. I think it creates a bubbly personality type. Yeah, I can see that. And then if you're born just as the weather's getting bad and snowy, you're going to be cynical. <laughs> I like, um, I recently uh, had a daughter um, and she was born on in February 8th. And I'm like, February is my least favorite month because it's like the August of winter. It's like, oh my God, let's just get it over with, you know, <laughs> uh, it's been so long and it's so cold. But I, I have a strong feeling that being born in it is going to be, it's going to be cool. Because it's like you have a fun thing to look forward to in one of the darkest months of the year where it's just like everything is sort of like, you know, we've been buried under snow for a whole month. Everyone's depressed, uh, can't go outside. But hey, you have a party to look forward to. So, you know, thank <laughs> you something. That's a good outlook, yeah. <laughs> I mean, part of me thinks that maybe they'll be tougher, like, because oh, maybe. their birth is, you know, in that rough area of the year. That's very plausible, too. You're like, listen, I can handle this. Yeah. <laughs> I was born in February. I'm, I'm a February, baby. Actually, she was born in a blizzard, too. Uh, oh. We had, like, one of the most, one of the snowiest years ever up here. And uh, at the hospital, we, well, I couldn't leave anyway because of COVID. But I was looking out the window, and I was like, there's no way we were going to get out of there. It was completely, totally buried uh, in the hospital. <laughs> oh, man, that is crazy. Is this your first? This is our first, yeah. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Are you getting uh, sleep now? You know what? I no, Knocking on wood. Y'all heard it. Um, she's a really good sleeper and has been pretty much since we got since she came home. Uh, oh, cool. So, you know, I, I've heard the horror stories, but she's sleeping for like four-ish hours or more chunks, um, which is really good for a newborn. And, you know, waking up once or twice in the night is not that bad. So I'm feeling pretty good. Yeah. That that doesn't sound too bad. And I'm a night owl anyway. Oh, nice. So for me, it's like, okay, whatever. Like, I'd already probably be up doing something stupid anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do you do late at night? Uh, honestly, for, I, but recently my nighttime has been uh, Star Trek The Next Generation on while, okay. I, like, while I work on some uh, either actual work stuff, like writing or uh, like editing papers that I've been trying to publish. Or um, board game stuff, like putting together uh, prototypes and um, getting TTS modules, you know, updated and things like that. Because we're all all over the country, so everything we've been doing is on Tabletop Simulator. Uh, and now I've got like, you know, a little time at night every night where I'm like, okay, let's get everything up to date uh, for our weekly playtest. I'll have all the cards in there. You know, it's uh, you know, it's kind of like a decompressing experience for me. <laughs> I was going to ask that earlier. If do you guys ever get together in person? Um, we do, but we haven't had a chance to last year, just because we oh, don't want to travel. Not? Basically, <laughs> we, didn't, we just didn't. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> we, we typically have at least once a year, uh, and this was before we were actually like officially a company. We were just a bunch of friends who played games and, and made games for each other. 
Um, we do at least once a year, we get together, all of us, uh, we either rent the house or at, at my house up here, um, and spend the whole weekend just playing our backlog of games, more or less. Oh, that's um, awesome. And we were all, most of us were friends in college, which is how we know each other. Uh, so there's, you know, there, there would be times when my, my house had like eight, 15 nerds just living there for the weekend. Uh, <laughs> you know, every single table was completely covered in games. The floor was covered in games. It was like, the air oh, smelled of BO. The air, yeah. Well, you know what? We try <laughs> to do it in the spring so we could leave all the windows open for that exact purpose. <laughs> we, actually had a funny, we actually had a funny moment last time where out on my patio we had the Game of Thrones board game being played. I don't know if you've ever played that game. Um, it's massive, epic, like nine hour game at full players. Um, oh, man. It's wonderful, though. It's really, really good, um, like grand scale war game type thing. And the reason why it's so great is all the move, all the orders are done in secret. The little chits that have your order on one side and all the backs are the same. So you place your orders out, they all flip, and then they resolve sort of simultaneously. Um, so it's all bluffing in that stage where you're like, you're butted up against somebody else's territory. And it's like, listen, I'm not going to attack you. I'll support you actually in this battle. Don't worry about it. And you're obviously lying. You're going to attack them. They're going to attack <laughs> you. It's all, it's all a cluster of just, you know, depravity and it's game of thrones it's wonderful it feels like game of thrones which is why it's so good the game is totally unbalanced it needs a complete rework the lannisters are unwinnable but it feels <laughs> like it feels like game of thrones because of how backstabby and wonderful it is but we started the game with that at about i don't know 10 in the morning um my, my wife left to go hang out with a friend she comes back at like 8 p.m and we're still playing it and she's like what are you are you like having a bad? Are you guys having a good time? You played the same game all day, and we're all like, "No, this is the best day of our lives." What are you talking about? <laughs> we're we're gonna play another one after this. Oh, that's awesome. Completely. Is your wife a board gamer at all? Uh, she, not as much as me. Um, she likes uh sort of she likes some games, sort of like uh, Tiny Epic series and Takedo. Mm. Uh, uh, photosynthesis, um, Catan, a le- little bit less uh, aggressive types games than I like. I'll try any. I'll try any game basically. Uh, and she's not really a fan of the games that involve like player elimination and things like that, um, which I totally understand. It's not for everybody. I am always surprised. Well, it seems pretty split. Either uh, a lot of designers, it seems like their wife helps them with design, or they just don't play games. Um, I guess I'm in the middle because she plays yeah. games, but isn't really super interested in the design aspect. Oh, okay, that yeah. makes sense. Um, and I think that that is also a thing that requires a certain kind of uh, weird brain to enjoy, and it's hard to turn off sometimes. Where like I'm playing a new game and I have to turn off my designer instincts sometimes and just like enjoy it, you know? Yeah, you're like, oh. I could take this and tweak it and make it exactly. this way, and and then you I have a new this game. Mechanic, and then I mix it with that thing, and it will go great with that theme. And you're like, okay, relax. <laughs> you could just have fun, you know. <laughs> yeah, just play the game. <laughs> waiting on you, Tim. It's been 15 minutes. <laughs> Stop pitching us a new game and do take your turn. I am I am a notorious. Uh, People do need to yell at me sometimes when I'm taking turns because I'll run through possibilities in my head. It's terrible. <laughs> I'm the same way. And my wife, 
for a long time would tell me like, I don't like playing games with you because you take forever on your turn. And I'm like, I can try and speed it up. Like I'll do a speed turn. It's fine. Just let me know. Just play games with me. (laughs) (laughs) I I honestly, I think that uh, it's because I learned chess as a little kid first. Mm. Um, And my dad is like amazing at chess and he taught me how to play when I was a little kid. Um, I guess that's actually where it all started, huh? Now that I just, I just unlocked my rosebud moment, oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> uh, but he taught me how to play chess when I was a kid, and uh, his method of teaching was he would play against me. I would have all the pieces. He would just play me with no pieces except for pawns, knights, king, and queen. No rook and no bishop. They would still beat me. Uh, and it, it, <laughs> it made my... Um, I think that it, like, it, it changed the kind of player i am now where i'm just like always looking for like little things to make a unique variant of a game because that was a fun little version of chess for me i don't know why uh but i still like chess so i guess it all sort of ties together yeah that is really interesting i like hearing that because we're very similar where i probably started off playing chess with my brothers then we got into magic the gathering and and pokemon i guess uh and then Catan. You know, it's and funny. after Catan, it went off. It, yeah, it explodes after that. I yeah. loved collecting Pokemon cards, but I never learned how to play the game. I was All I cared oh. about was looking at them. <laughs> <laughs> That's I think fair. By the time I started getting into like card games, I was already playing Magic. At that point, I was like, that was the thing I was focused on gameplay-wise. Uh, Pokemon, for me, was just, like a cool thing to look at in my binder, more or less. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I think... trade with kids at school. Yeah, exactly. That was like... 90% of it was looking at them, trading them, and then for us it was like 10% playing. Yeah, I actually, I went to, when I was a kid, this is a funny memory, I went to one of those um, like Pokemon League things that they used to have at Toys R Us before RIP uh, closed. There was a, um, and it was basically just like a bunch of nerds, it was awesome, and they were all playing the game or trading cards. And I'd go there to just trade. And I tried to listen to some guy explain to me how to play the rules. And all I could think was like, oh, this is just like Magic the Gathering, but kind of worse. And I, so yeah. I, never, I never learned how to play it after that. <laughs> That's totally fair. Because we played Pokemon first and then got into Magic. And then we stopped playing Pokemon and even collecting Pokemon because it was like Magic. Yeah, That's, no. that's the pinnacle right there. You've already, yeah, exactly. Why should I go for the, the intro version when I'm already <laughs> playing? I recently... Yeah. Oh my god, this is totally, it's all, it's all kismet, I swear. Uh, I, my, mom, my parents came up to visit um, us to see the baby a few days ago. And my mom brought from their, was going through their basement and found my original Portal Magic the Gathering starter set with all those like weird Portal cards that didn't have any instants or enchantments. It was just creatures and sorceries. Uh, and I, I was looking through it and I was like, this is like the most nostalgic thing I've ever seen. Uh, and also the weirdest thing, I was like, how did this get me into the game? It was so stupid. It didn't, <laughs> it didn't have any of the cool parts of Magic. <laughs> but that probably helps you get into the game, I imagine, where it wasn't overly complicated. It was certainly simpler, but the funny thing is, there's cards in there that are instants, but they called them sorceries, and then in the text, they gave you the rules of an instant. And I was like, this seems, this seems stupid. Like, why don't they oh, just wow. have the word? Yeah. That's wild. I can't even... I know. I haven't played Magic in so long, I can't remember. A couple... Before I got married, some of my friends and my brothers started getting really, really into it. And I played once with them. And I won. I kicked their butts big time. 
Nice. And I was like, I'm retiring on top. Like, <laughs> it's really hard for me. <laughs> yeah, I snatched the belt. I'm done. Like, yeah. <laughs> every good fighter knows when to hang up the gloves. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and that's if you I, win one. Exactly. You win one game and you're like, I did it. <laughs> I have reached the pinnacle. Exactly. Undefeated. Give me the belt. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny though because it i think that that informed my design philosophy a lot is like i know that i'm never going to attempt to make a game that tries to have like a competitive seat like magic oh. does it just doesn't appeal to me at all yeah um so so in my i like magic the gathering and i like games like that but for me that's not what design is for design is for creating interesting social experiences um so like with with Mononoke, it's you know who can you trust, uh, when can you trust them, and like how much are you willing to risk the group's safety for your own selfish gains, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and that to me is more important than you know strictly tinkering and balancing every single spirit, every single yokai card, or every single spell or whatever. It's about the experience. And honestly, letting go of that and just like focusing on the what makes this fun was like a liberatory experience for me <laughs> instead of trying to make every game like magic uh making every game like a narrative thing was just wonderful yeah that makes a lot of sense and i think that type of thing sells really well because it it pulls on people's emotions if you can tie something to emotion and make them feel excited or or even dread if they're you know if their stomach drops because they're like oh no like yep or i both. just realized i got played or you know yeah exactly like those things create memories and and that's one of the best parts of gaming with people yeah if you if you come away from the table with like a strong memory of something fun that happened or something crazy that happened that's the most important thing you can do as a designer is like create those fun experiences for people i was talking about this actually to somebody um uh somebody who who worked on a bunch of different war games uh, who's a member of our co-op actually uh he worked on um kings of war uh, which is a very fun sort of mass battle miniatures game. And we were talking about the difference between sort of balanced game design and exciting game design. And he's like, yeah, so if you're doing an armor save, a three plus armor save, uh, you know, is good game-wise, it's balanced, it works, but it's not exciting because two-thirds of the time it succeeds. So, like, mm-hmm. you, you start to expect it to succeed after a while. Um an exciting thing would have your armor only work on a five or a six because then, you know, you get used to it not working. Your armor becomes sort of like a thing that is just sort of there, but not super, super useful. And then when it does work, you feel like you cheated death and it's like an epic moment and you feel amazing about it. Um, so he's like, that's sort of like where you can take your design. Is it like, are you doing this for a, a mathematical balanced approach or are you trying to make something exciting for the players and i feel like for me the latter is where i tend to fall on that on that dichotomy i think that's awesome and i love it i mean i'm part of a board game designers guild here in utah and uh and they've had that discussion a couple times where sometimes people will be really focused on getting something balanced and somebody will just say like it's a co-op game you don't need to worry about balance like yeah somebody might carry it a little bit but everybody's doing their part (laughs) i don't know it's interesting and even video games i think people worry about that like unless something is yeah unless something is totally egregious and it makes it it takes away people's like 
desire to choose anything, I think generally speaking, you're fine. Like, yeah. Especially in a co-op or a semi-co-op scenario. Um, if you're talking about like a competitive card game, then you need to really drill the balance down. But yeah, if you're talking about something that everyone's sort of working together on a common goal, it's like, okay, so one character is a little bit more powerful. It's going to be fine. <laughs> yeah. Like, everybody's going to have fun. Everybody will create their moments. But... I actually had a cool uh, talk about that where if you're doing a co-op game, it can be fun to have characters that are like given different tiers or ranks. Like, oh, this is the easiest character. This is the hardest character. And there's no real difference gameplay-wise, but it lets you sort them by the group that you're playing with. So if you have one player who's really experienced, uh, in order to prevent them from sort of alpha-dogging the group and like dictating everything, yeah. they get the really hard character, um, which makes their actions a little bit you know, more nuanced and, and more difficult or whatever. Um, but it makes it uh, so like when they succeed, they feel more accomplished because they had this hard character. But at the same time, it prevents them from sort of running the table because they have more things to worry about. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's really interesting. And because I think that's one of the biggest struggles in a co-op game is quarterbacking. Yeah, it's... we're working on a game right now. Um, one of our designers, uh, uh, James, they're working on a really cool cooperative um game which is like tetris meets pokemon kind of and it's cooperative battles against a an ai you know quote gym leader unquote uh where all of your your creatures attacks are based on um uh is are based on like uh, tetris shapes kind of huh and uh you know you're shooting like little tetris shapes and you're trying to fill the board up and remove lines and they're all based. They're all built with elements, and uh, the elements like have different effects on the, on the field. It's really fun, um, but that's a cooperative game where you're fighting against an AI, and it's really, really, it was very difficult to balance out the rules in a way that kept it from being like one player choosing what everyone did. Uh, and eventually, we sort of found a balance for it. Um, but it's funny because like it's not really the game designer's job to keep players playing nice, yeah. but at the same time you do want to facilitate good experiences. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you could even have co or uh, quarterbacking in a competitive game if you you can't really predict the people that are playing it. Mm -hmm. But I know sometimes when I'm playing a competitive game, if I see a good move that'll even screw me over or something, I'll be like, oh, like, and if they are new to it and frustrated, I'll be like, listen, here's an idea. You don't have to do it. <laughs> It'll completely screw exactly. me over. But if you do it this way, you know, and I'm like, I feel a little bad because I'm like, am I taking away from their fun if I, if I help them out? And it's funny because you don't really want to, uh, you don't want to be like a, certain people don't want to be quarterbacking other players in general because it's like it's not really my, my thing, you know. Uh huh. But I don't know. To to me, that's like an issue with co-op games in general. But I still love them. Uh, it just like that, that's a, like a powerful player group thing. Yeah, some player groups just have them, and some don't. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely enjoy everyone getting their own, being their own person, and and working together as a team, and not feeling like, okay, we're all pawns, and one person's leading the charge. Yeah, exactly. Well, we've talked about a lot of stuff. That was a very sprawling conversation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It was interesting that we, we started with board games, then we moved away, and we came back and tied it back to board games. 
you know what? It it naturally came in. It really did. It really did. Well, thank you so much, Tim, for coming on. I that was a lot of fun. What? Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Why don't you plug social media, your website, projects? You can find us at cardboardrevolution.com. Nice and simple. Uh, at Twitter, we are at Cardboard Revolt. Somebody stole that from us, and uh, we're not even using it for anything fun, so what a shame. Oh. Um, you can find us there on Twitter, and uh, that'll have links to all of our sort of upcoming projects. Uh, you can join our mailing list on the website, and if you do join the mailing list, you will get first access to um, uh, print and plays and tabletop simulator modules uh, for the games that are coming out, um, first of which will be Mononoke. Uh, sometime in April to get all the access to that. Um, and then you can also uh, sign up for the Kickstarter preview page uh, as well, and then you'll get a little notification when we launch in July. So that's pretty much it. Very exciting. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. This is really fun. Yeah. You're welcome back anytime. Would love to. Uh, I don't know how. I never thought about how to close this type of show. Oh, no. You need an outro. <laughs> I uh, know. I <laughs> this has been. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well this was one person of many welcome i don't know i don't I'll, know i can it's figure fine. that out and record it edit and post yeah edit and post Thank you for listening to the premiere episode of the Board Game Community Show. You can follow me at Nerd Out With Us. You can at me, you can DM me, and let me know who you want to get to know better within the community. I will reach out to anyone, no matter how big, no matter how small. If they're in the board game community, I want to talk to them. And if you want to come on yourself, feel free to message me that too. I would love to have you, whoever you are. All right, everyone, thanks so much, and keep board gaming, board gaming, board gaming. What?